Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. I'm Jason here with Brian, and today we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into what Brian had talked about in the last episode, this idea of identity. And it's been one of our main pillars in Mission 300 since the beginning, so explore this a little bit more. Yeah, I think this um, launching into the idea, this idea was really a building block, too, of Mission 300, and it's a, it's such a big subject matter and we can see that all over our world where, who am I? What What is my identity? Where do I begin? And I think uh, as we go through the questions, um, I'm hoping to kind of extract some more information that really will um, affect people's questions that they have and how to better, how do I grab a hold of this from a, a different perspective that I can have the relationship that God's wanted for us all along. Yeah, and that's really that's really the the goal of everything here, to get that perspective solidified. And one of the things that used to come up for me a lot with this idea of identity, you know, not everyone had the best relationship or has the best relationship with their father. But when we're looking at this, you see that the father is the one that has to, I guess, bestow the identity on the son. But why can't we just kind of, you know, discover our own or make our own identity or blaze our own trail, you know? Like, why is it so crucial for the father to be the one that hands that down? Yeah, I think this is a great question. It almost makes us feel a little inferior and almost that could frustrate a lot of people, even even if you have a good good dad or whatever, but you're missing an element of development that they can't take you further. Um, I, I think this really can be, I think that's why we've resorted to how can I discover my own self? I don't need anybody else. I, I'll find my own way. And if you look at it from the perspective of, let's say, uh, if we look at a precious metal, like gold or silver, there's a value to the gold or silver or whatever that thing is. If no one wants it, there is no value to it. There has to be something that that is uh, creating the value, and it's usually from someone else. And so if you look at anything in life uh, that has value or has meaning, it's because someone has imp- has placed value and meaning onto that thing. Um, and then there's a truth measurement. So for instance, um, if, if I want to be great at something, I can say I am great at drinking coffee. Well, what's my measurement of what a great coffee drinker is? So there would have to be some level of truth that I can build off of. So that's always external. So if we look at it from that perspective, that everything that I am, I'm really more of a... Uh, Uh, I have to measure to something. So that's the criticalness of the source of life. So it has to be something external that you're measuring to. So it's kind of interesting when you're looking at it as being, you know, it really has to start as an external thing. But at the same time, we're very, or at least it seems that we're very internally motivated. Like that's kind of what our culture pushes. That's even what our churches push is you've got to find it within yourself to rise up. You've got to motivate yourself. You've got to be the one that rises up and, you know, does all this stuff. So how does that really tie in when you're looking at motivation, but your identity comes from an external source? Yeah, no, this is a great question. So you're a great musician. So I'm not. So I can I can ask you if I were to sit in a room and say, what's good music? I'm not going to ask myself what it is. I'm going to go to someone who actually understands music. So. Um, let's say, for instance, you're internally motivated to do music. I remember you sharing a story of um, you didn't really like playing the piano in the sense that it was just so uh, 
mechanical at first until you got the freedom right, to kind of flow right. and all of a sudden you discovered how much you liked it but my question comes what made you pick the musical instrument of a piano or a guitar which you're also great at what what made you pick that were you just born one day and you just thought in your mind i'm going to play a piano i don't know what that is i've never even seen one before i don't even know what it looks like i'm just going to play one <laughs> where, where did you get the idea that the piano or the the guitar would be a thing that would produce music that you want to do and if i think about it, it was kind of really kind of two things like for some reason i i enjoyed it and i liked the idea of being able to play music in general but well to be honest at first it was something that i kind of had to do like i took piano lessons because i when i was 10 i said i was interested in it and i have no idea if i actually was or if i just wanted to be interested in it because that's what someone else was doing but then it became a matter of oh if i can do this then i could you know play at church or play in this band or maybe impress somebody with it because it's cool to have that skill, you know? But there was also something where it was, I discovered it was something I really enjoyed doing and I enjoyed doing it more than I enjoyed doing other things. So I would take time away from those things and put it towards that practice. But mm -hmm. I mean, I hated practice. Like piano lessons were like the dumbest thing in my mind. I would wait all week. I had lessons every week and I wouldn't practice until a couple hours before my lesson that day. And then I would lie on my little practice sheet and tell my teacher how often I practiced during the week and she was proud of me. But in reality, I put it off to the very last minute because I hated having to practice because I didn't see why the practice was getting me anywhere. It was just kind of something I had to do. That brings up two ideas. So the practice was externally motivated because you had to do it for your teacher. Right. So you hadn't discovered in that sense an internal motivation. But if we step back even further and let's say uh, just I'm going to create a cruel picture in order to illustrate the point. If you were born, you had cruel parents and they locked you in, a, in the basement and all you saw was darkness. They never exposed you to anything. What would you be interested in? And the truth is you would have no idea. You would not have a song in your head. You would, you, nothing would come because there was no background to understand anything. So there's pieces that have to be there. There's our environment and things introduced to us create a background knowledge that we start attaching our, the things we're interested in and we start seeing interests. So the more things I'm exposed to with the more things that I would become more interested in. So even though it became internal, you found a way to become internally motivated around the guitar, the external guitar itself and music itself had to be given to you. Right. It had to be come in from the outside. So this is my whole point is everything still has an external input into it. So the same is true. The word father actually means source of life. Hmm. So we are, uh, we are a, we're life. We get to choose now. We get to choose what enters in. So I could choose not to like music. I could choose to like music. I could choose to override my joyful desire of playing by becoming mechanical and pleasing the teacher. So now we're into pleasing people. So there is a point where we can see a flaw. Or I could be internally like, I want to go do this, so I'm going to spend hours being creative. So now I'm starting to see a gifting flow through something that was in externally given to me. So it's a cooperation. It is working with both. But the idea that we're only individually motivated, mm -hmm. I think, is part of where the flaw. So back to that point where the father means source of life. So when you're created, you are 
bestowed life. You get to think, you get to make decisions, you have a will, you have uh, a, an opinion, you have an idea, but it's all based on things that you've learned. And it's all based on the relationship you have to the source. So if you have a great relationship with your parents, when they ask you to do something, there's a natural bend to try to flow with them. If that was a bad relationship, you're going to try to figure it out on your own. But you're still going to look for other sources to give you the background knowledge to make your decisions. So that's the part where I don't, uh, this is a kind of a long way to get to the simple point. Everyone has a source of life. It could be from a wrong source or it's from a right, a right source. And then we make decisions with that source of what we're going to do with it. And then there's an internal consciousness that is looking that's saying, that doesn't feel right. Or, oh, that does feel right. So now we have this internal compass mechanism drawing us to a source, but we still need an external source. That makes a lot of sense. That kind of brings up this other question in my mind. And I want to get your perspective on this. So <clears throat> you've, you've been... You've been working with youth, young men, young women for a long time in this. So what have you practically seen the result be for young people that don't have a natural father influencing them? Because if, if we're looking at this in a natural and a spiritual perspective, I, we can kind of see it spiritually. You know, if, you don't, if you're not with God, if you don't have God, you're left with not much else. What does it look like naturally for kids? That question really is the essence of our whole real existence. Um, this is why Jesus came to the earth, is you cannot know the Father except through me. I'm the only way to the Father. And uh, again, we talked about it's, it's w way beyond even just going to heaven or going to hell, which seems to be the argument over religion. Where's my eternal life going to be? And, and that's part of it, but this is the bigger piece is... Um, how do I get to know my father? Because in a, in a sense, we may have a natural father, but we all, before we knew Jesus and, and could know the father, we were all orphan. And there's something very interesting about this, especially with young people, is if they've had a bad experience with a father, like we had one young man, he worked with us for a while, and we were talking about the father and and the role of the father. And he showed me the scars on his arms where he had to defend himself against his father attacking him with a knife. So now all of a sudden you say, God wants to be his, your father and kind of look at that whole context. Like there's a lot of anger there. Well, it took a, a, a little while, but we stood with him. There's a lot of issues that, that went along. And it's interesting that people that have been abandoned or orphaned or have been violated by their father, they will actually almost try to sabotage the relationship you have with them. So that way to prove I'm not good enough, even though they may use right. a different argument, but at the end of the day, it's almost like they're trying to prove no one's going to stay with them, that they're on their own. But when you do stick around and you do stay with them and we we've created environments within our program where there's a sense of family of camaraderie and issues happen, but we don't quit on each other. Once families formed, all of a sudden the father has a new meaning and we can introduce that. And we've seen such a dramatic change. And with that young man, after a couple of years, he actually went back and started working part-time to help his dad while he was working part-time for us. And I asked what happened. He says, well, I, I, he, I just realized 
what happened to him when he grew up and how violent his father was to him. He's only doing what he knows. That is a, a really a miraculous flip in a way of thinking, but it all came from one, creating a, an environment where the idea of father changes and two is going into the next phase of what it would be like, what, what really is our role and how does that work in creating an environment for other young people? The basic element could be summed up in the word belief. And, you know, it, it's interesting in, in our Christian faith, it's, but we believe in God, right? right? We, we believe in what he can do. We could, we believe in him. And, but we're also designed the same way. And this, the same is true the other direction, is he believes in us, or it doesn't work either, because we're, we're made in his image. So we're made to be believed in. And so when you look at even uh, a young man, so we, this is the biggest part where we've seen the, big, the, the change that's been the most radical, is one thing we do is when we enter, when we enter into our probation department, uh, these guys have to be there. So the probation meetings, everyone has to be there. No one really knows each other except for the few that got in trouble together. So they're stuck there at the same meeting. And uh, they're, all, they're all with their heads down waiting to endure a meeting. And I always started out as, you know, I'll create a joke. Thank you guys for all visiting. I know you all wanted to be here this morning. And so then they kind of get a little bit of a laughter, right? <laughs> And so I, but I think this is important is, is God comes to us where we're at. Like there's not a condemnation. He creates a sense of, of rest. I, I think it's humorous how Jesus uh, met Peter. So Peter's out there fishing. He, he says, Hey, throw the, throw the net on the other side. And all of a sudden, like the boat's capsizing from fish and they've been fishing all day. But, but it's like, it was this sense of humor in, okay, you know what? I know you haven't caught anything all day. And I'm not just going to have you catch a little bit, but I'm going to kind of show you how great of a fisherman I am too, because you like fishermen. So if I can connect to you on something, you're going to hear what I have to say. And so I, I think God comes to us, uh, and, and I think even using the term, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say this without, so that way people will know in the future, God is my father. Now he's God in the sense that he's creator. He's the source of life. He is the, the inhabitor of everything. With, without him, nothing exists. So God and Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, all three of them working together as one. But when I'm always referring to him as God, uh, I'm missing a, the personal element. So he is God, but Jesus never really referred to him as God. He always referred to him as my father, who is God. So back to that point. So when we're, uh, God comes and creates this personalness through, uh, the life of Jesus and how we interacted that no longer is he God. Now he's father. He's someone I can, he created a connection where I can start building this relationship point. Right. And then the second thing we do is I moved here and my family would do all this because I believe in you. Otherwise, there's no point in me being here. If I don't believe in you, I'm wasting my time. And so belief becomes the essence of the whole entire piece. Like, I see something in you that you don't see, and I believe in that thing to come out, and I'm willing to stand here with you as that emerges. That's belief. Now, words come, instructions, all those other things are added on, but I think those are the two main elements is the relationship of love and seeing something in you that you're not ashamed of me and the belief that I could go further would be the essence of where this all begins. So I, I was just kind of thinking about that. There's there's the belief aspect to it for sure, but I kind of had this, this might be a really strange thought. I could believe 
that I'm an heir to like the throne of England or to some massive fortune, some wealthy businessman. I could believe that in my mind all I want. If there's not something tangible and legal and binding that puts me there, then it doesn't matter what I believe. So hmm. what does that look like in a spiritual sense? Because it's kind of funny. I don't know that we really we think about this or talk about this too much. The The kind of you could say judgmental aspect of God declaring that we are his children or declaring that Jesus was his son, you know, in whom I'm well pleased and all that. We kind of look at that as a really nice statement, but we don't really see the gravity of what he's actually saying there. Like, what does it actually mean to be a son or a daughter of God? It's not just a a nice, warm, fuzzy belief thing. There's something really powerful there that I don't think we address a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think even if we let's go back to the movie Balian just for, or uh, Kingdom of Heaven with Balian. So even if Balian at this point discovered he was a lord, his influence and his in that world that was hostile to him as a as a blacksmith, it would never have worked there. He had to leave to become. And I think this is really critical too in in the sense of we sometimes forget that there's two kingdoms going on. So Jesus came to bring in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The idea that he has to bring in a new kingdom means that the kingdom that had was in control was not friendly. So you can be a lord in another kingdom, but it has no power unless there's an alliance between the two kingdoms. And there's not an alliance between our two kingdoms. Right. In the sense, once we figure out, I, I like the movie Shazam that, that came out, um, little parental advisory because they could have changed some of the language in it. But the overall picture is, I, I, I like this one idea, is when the... the uh, <laughs> We've been <laughs> the, warned. The seven, the seven evil forces, right? The 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 seven de- deadly sins were trying to take control over the world, and Shazam had to go deal with that. And I thought it was interesting that they told their host, uh, I forgot the evil villain guy's name, but anyway, they tell him, there's one greater than you, but if you destroy him now before he figures out his powers and he figures out really who he is, you can take him now. But once he figures that out, you won't be able to take him. And I thought that's that's true of us. Like you discover what you are, hmm. but now there's all this force that comes against you from really discovering what that means. And I think most people who become Christians or most people who are discovering who they are, it's almost like this force, like, hey, I'm something more. And then it like gets harder than before, or or it feels like it gets harder than before, because now all of a sudden you're going to start looking at things differently. You were going with the river in a flow. But now all of a sudden you realize I'm going the wrong direction and you turn. Well, now all of a sudden the currents, I'll go in the other way. And I think this is where uh, this building block starts. And I, I think in future podcasts, we'll deal with that a little bit more. But I think we have to get those two elements that there's something at war. So even though God comes to you and says, you're this, um, just remember, uh, Jesus was the son of God and how accepted was he? Now, he walked in the power of it. He walked in the miracles of it. He did all those things. But um, I don't remember everyone being so friendly to him, especially when he leaves and he only has 120 people following him. Right. So this might need to be a whole different podcast for this topic. You remember the movie A Knight's Tale? And there's, there's a clip that 
I kind of am obsessed with using. It's when he's in the stocks at the very end, before his grand finale. Before that, before that scene, before he actually gets arrested, he has this big moment with his his people, like the handful of people that is with him, or that have been with him, and are loyal to him. And he's impressed. He's just so so firm in his in his belief that he won't run because he believes he's a knight. The problem is all he has is the belief. Like his heart's in the right place. Everything he's done has been the actions of a knight up until that point. His belief is there, but he still gets put in prison because he has no authority to actually be a knight or do what he's doing. So you can believe it all you want to, but until the prince comes and knights him after he's put in prison, he has no authority. And I think it puts it in a really interesting perspective for us because I think a lot of times we get we get stuck in belief, 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 if you just believe, if your heart believes, and all this stuff, and it doesn't really mean too much to us, or it doesn't really set in us because we look around and we see that our status is still the same as it was before. But when you see something so bold in Scripture saying that we are co-heirs with Christ, do we really understand what that means? Because that means you were knighted, you're now in the family, now you can't be put in prison by the enemy that just put you there. Now you can actually go out and fight the enemy because you've been made royalty. I think that's such a big deal. That might be something we have to dive into at a whole nother level. Well, I think it, I think it ties into this and it, it ties into the clip. And I, I made a little side comment in the, the intro portion of the background for this podcast. And I think this is a really critical idea that needs to be understood. The moment God comes to you and the idea of being born again, which is more than just believing on Jesus to go to heaven. I mean, I think we've lost a lot of that, the, the essence yeah. of what this really is. is in, in John, it says you have the right to become a son of God. Now that only comes through Jesus Christ. So when people say, well, isn't there other ways to heaven? This really, if, if we even get into more of a core, no one's, young people aren't thinking about dying tomorrow. So their eternity really isn't right. on their radar. And this is a good learning experience. Now, once we're older and we're planning, you know, you get in the 60s and 70s, you could die at any point. All of a sudden now that becomes a much more tangible reality. But let's just step down into an age group that they're just trying to live life. So now where does God fit? So this is where we get a lot of, the, well, there's many ways to heaven. There's mm. Buddha, there's, well, you're, you're assuming that everything is a destination to some, some cloud land. But what if it... I'm not saying that doesn't exist. I'm, I'm saying, what, what if there's a bigger essence to this? So let's look at it this way. If I came to you and I'm expanding a kingdom and I have all of my children have been taken captive into a land of my, my inheritance and I go in and I find them and I start declaring this is what you are. Now, the, the people around them aren't going to embrace that, but we're assuming we'd still do this in our own power. This is the assumption. Okay, so before Jesus, I struggled with my life, and there's all these problems, and I'm, I'm trying to get these problems solved, right? Okay, let's just take a normal person. So they believe in Jesus so they can go to heaven, and now God's going to help them with their life. So now they're on a new journey. So God wipes away their sins, clears them all up, cleans them all up. They're now whole, holy, sanctified, loved by God, children of God. Yet now, for some reason, they still think it's on them to go fix their life. The whole idea was you couldn't fix your life. 
So this idea that hmm. you just get saved, now you go fix your life. How miserable is that? Now you know you're something more, but you still can't fix your life. How disappointing to the one who called you. And so now it almost heaps condemnation. So now you'll become judgmental towards other people. You'll try to find new measurements. Like I might, I might really suck at doing this, but you know what? That person's even worse. And so now I'm pointing my finger. I become more condemning. I mean, this is what the Pharisees were like. I mean, they were even more condemning, but they were, they were all living something that they weren't, they were not. Now let's, let's step back of what it really should look like. So Jesus comes along, all the power of heaven, all the inheritance of heaven, all the resources of heaven were given to Jesus. People still hated him. Not everyone loved him, but he could operate when he said, I don't care about how man views me. So this is where your source of life changes. My identity is not tied to your opinion. I'm going to do it whether you like me, whether you don't like me. So I'm going to love you even if you hate me. See, if you start seeing it from that perspective, why would Jesus say, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two? If they ask for your coat, give them your jacket also. Aren't we being abused? See, we're living as victims. That's what that old world was. I'm victimized by my world. So we do that too long and we're looking for people to validate us. So now all of a sudden we switch our source of life. God is my validation. Man, you could take my life. You could take everything from me. But I will tell you right now, I still am the authority. I still can do this. And now all of a sudden, the forces that are behind those people can no longer hold their power. And so we we start seeing ourselves from a dominance over their source of life. Not the person, not the individual, but their source of life. Now all of a sudden, I can function. I can influence. I can can do those things. Um, So I'm not just okay, now people are going to like me now. No, I know if you didn't get your value from people, if, if the value of people was destroying you in the first place, then the value of people will destroy you in the second place. But if the value of God comes in, all of a sudden now I can operate from what he said about me. I'm a king. I'm, I'm the son of a king. All authority has been given to me. So now, Father, how do you operate in that? How did Jesus function in that? Who am I to you in that? And now all of a sudden the outside starts changing and I just let myself emerge and all of a sudden influence happens. And that's where you can get the promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means seek first your position in the kingdom and his kingdom advancement and his righteousness. It's no longer in my works. It's in what he does. And all these other things are added unto you. How can that happen? Because now the kingdom of heaven is starting to flow through me into the world around me. And that's, that's the transformation, but it's not about me anymore. It's about my position. Right. So that kind of brings up another thought. <clears throat> you mentioned you mentioned in the last episode that the kingdom of God works the opposite of the way we expect it to or the opposite of the way the world operates to where it's you prove yourself, um, you, you get yourself ready to a level that you can have this title, then I give you the title. And you mentioned the kingdom of God works the opposite way. He gives you the title and then, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but then he, he walks with you, he grows you he leads you into that title that being the case in the kingdom of god doesn't that kind of pose a big risk so the thought is this if god's trusting us with a position or a title or um whatever you want to call it before you have the ability or the discipline to carry out the responsibility the way it should be 
you know, he makes you a son. Well, if I don't have the discipline or the skill to be a son responsibly, then won't we just screw things up? Like, how can God trust me to be a son when I don't know what that looks like? Oh, that's great. So this is why throughout Scripture, this is why we have four Gospels. If we read the Gospels in light of how did Jesus interact with his father? If you just take a moment and just reread them only, only from the perspective, how did Jesus interact with his father? We'll start understanding what that looks like. How did he respond to this? Where did he do when he felt like this? And if he's trying to show what that looked like, because we can't, before this time, there was no man that could understand what that relationship really looked like. There was few close examples where you could see Moses, he was a friend of God. We see Abraham, he was a friend of God, but it was still a human interacting with the spirit. Now we see someone who is melded together, interacting God, father, son, I only do what I see my father do, a humility to each other. It, it's really, that's the picture that we're seeing because that's the relationship. This is the part that a lot of people will see as blasphemous. And again, I'm not saying you're the creator. I am not saying when you're born again, you are the highest person. I am saying he's the one who said, I'm inviting you into the same relationship as in John 16, as I have with my father, you now have with me and and with my father, and we're all one. So we are not over them, but we've been invited in to be a part of them. So that's the relationship piece that he's wanting us to have. So from that, uh, we begin seeing what he looks like. And I think, um, back to your point, if you look even on the kingdom of heaven, and I'm going to use that as a backdrop through this journey, because it's, it's, it's really a, a picture of transformation. Um, I think the, the thing that we really need to, to see even in that journey is he's on his way to get forgiveness, but really what he's doing, he's learning from his father. His father in this journey is teaching him what it means to be like, and the men at arms are coming along, just kind of like your, your brothers and sisters. They're coming along to reveal what the father's like, and they're giving him aspects. This is what your dad was like. The priest knew Godfrey very well, so even later in time, the priest can advise uh uh, Balian, because Godfrey, because he knew Godfrey so well. So this is, these are the things that are building to him throughout this whole journey of even in that movie. And the same is true with us. But I think one thing, and this will be, we'll, we'll do a podcast later on over this subject matter, but Jesus saw himself in the Old Testament. And I think we've looked at things from my behavior change. And I think, let me just get this as a critical component. When we're born again, God is not trying to change your old man's behavior. It cannot happen. That's why he had to kill it on the cross. So when he said, you've been crucified with Christ, he, he, your old man's dead to him. Now, does it mean you don't have behavior issues? Well, if I start calling out what you are and where you're to go, all of a sudden you have something to start attaching to. So my whole time now is encouraging in what you are. Why would you do that? Don't you know what you are? This is what you are. Why would you go do that? Don't you know what you are? This is what you are. Everything's about what you are. The Old Testament was, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Well, what am I? Don't do that. <laughs> reward, punishment, reward, punishment, reward, punishment. That's how slaves are made. And it says we were slaves and servants under that system. But now we're sons. So what does the son do? This is what you are, so you do this. This is what you are. And I... And convinced you said a word responsibility. 
when we discover what we really are, we want the challenges of life. We want the responsibility of life. We're willing to give our life to something and we, we want that. But if we don't know what we are, we become slaves and victims. Now we want everybody else punished for our misery. Sure. Yeah, and that brings up a big difference. I mean, you've got a perspective of a slave is, I wish the master would take this problem away from me. The perspective of a son is, okay, dad, how do we handle this problem? And that's personally where I've seen the biggest change in my perspective and in my growth, to be honest, when I stop praying from the perspective of, oh, dear God, there's this situation at work or in family or this relationship, please fix it. And for whatever reason, it didn't get magically fixed. But when I Mm -hmm. started approaching things from, okay, how do you look at this? How would a son handle this? How would you actually handle this, God, if you were in this situation? Which sounds kind of like a weird thing to say, like, hey, God, I have this problem at work. How would you handle this problem with my coworker? We don't really think that way. He's he's up there. He doesn't have these kind of problems. He's above all that. But we miss the point that he came down to our level to be with us, to interact with us, because he sees something in us that's worth being with, that's worth growing. And I've got to trust his opinion that if he wouldn't waste his time on us, if there wasn't value to be pulled out in the first place. And so if that's the case, then I might as well lean into it and see how he would handle things, see how a son would handle things. And it's funny when I start doing that, it's within, within minutes, my perspective completely changes about whatever problem it is. Whereas before you never really get freedom or peace from a problem if you're just waiting for God to snap his fingers and magically make it go away. You're never going to you're never going to feel at rest in that. But the biggest problems I've faced have felt less severe once I start praying that way or changing my perspective to that. Yeah, that's good. And and I think and and again I once we go through this podcast we'll go for identity and then we'll we'll begin discovering your strengths that emerge from that which we'll deal with your position, how to deal with those problems. We'll kind of get more into that from that perspective. And I think, um, what would it feel like if you truly in your heart knew the person inviting you into the place, into his position, your father, someone who loved you and cared for you and valued you and brought you into the position. I think we need to step back. What, what does that, what would that feel like? How restful would you be? When everything you were wasn't even considered, it's what you are. I love how Bailing comes and goes, I've murdered somebody. Now, granted, this is a movie, so it's not, I'm not, this movie is not saying this is how God treats us. It's just a great picture of our human nature a little bit. But even in that picture from a natural father, here's this father going, I have men at arms. I can go to war. I'm ready to go to battle for this. But he said, uh, his son, his Bailing comes to him and says, I'm a murderer. He goes, aren't we all? I mean, you just leave it right there. It's like, in other words, I I don't care what you were. You're my son. Like, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you are. Okay. I got to go find a new son. Hey guys, Hmm. can you send him back? He wasn't quite what I was expecting. You know, it was an, it was absolutely an irrelevant point to him. And the same is true with God. He, he loves us and he knows what we are. And he says, yeah, so right. Uh, My son, Jesus already took all that. My son, Jesus, absorbed all of that. So I know, I know. So that's why he came. So, so I can have you now. And so once you start bringing them in that new identity, but leave it at this one point, 
Um, uh, if Balian still tried to remain a blacksmith running this thing, he would have wrecked everything his father created. He had to change what he was. Not change what he was in identity, but change his thinking about what he was. And if you really believe hmm. you are the thing your source of life is telling you, you will function in that matter. If you believe that you're a worthless piece of garbage, you will function in life that way. And I think that becomes the, the critical uh, essence of this whole thing. Whatever that source of life has convinced you about, that is what you will act on. And so much of our problems has more to do with how we think about things than it is because these things are against us. And I'll leave this one other point too, is you had mentioned some things about slavery and victimization. The moment we sit in our mind and say, why is this happening? Those are victim questions. If the question is, who do you want to be to me, Father, in this situation and what is my response to it? Those are son questions. How would you, let me put it this way, how would you handle this situation, Father? And what would your response be to this situation, Father? Oh, okay. So I should do the same thing instead of, why'd you do this to me? Why is this happening? What's going on? Hmm. You're, you're looking at more of, I didn't, I, this shouldn't be happening to me. Well, as a son, when you're advancing anything, things are going to happen. But that's where the father comes in and starts revealing that journey. And so those are the differences. Another cool thing about that whole perspective there, if you're going to ask your father or if you're going to ask God how he would handle something, assuming that you want to follow that same path, then you have to on some level believe you're capable of it too. And what I mean by that is if, if you want to... If you want to learn to live as your father lives, then there has to be something that he put in you that makes you capable of doing that. In other words, you can't just be this lowly, pathetic wretch of a being because a lowly, pathetic wretch of a being should not ask God how, to, how he would handle something and try to do that. Only a son, only someone who actually is of his line, of his blood, of his way of being. That's why it says we're made in his image and likeness. Only someone like that could even approach the question of, okay, Father, how do you handle this? How would your son handle this? I think that in itself should kind of shake our perspective a little bit on how we see ourselves. Because if you're even asking the question, that's a pretty bold thing in the first place. Because you're saying, I, I accept that you've put me in your family, in your kingdom, in this position. So now, how do I walk in it? Like that's the the big thing that Balaam had to shift in his mindset because the first time he met his father, he rejected it. But he had to come to the point where he accepted, or at least was he came to his father after everything went down, and so he accepted his position. Yes, and it still took him a while in the journey to really walk in the fullness of the responsibility of it. And I think the moment we think we say the word responsibility, for some reason, we're not understanding. And this is what grace is. So grace is the empowerment of your position that you didn't, that is, that is bestowed on you. So Jesus had a position bestowed on him that he didn't earn either. It was bestowed on him by the father. 
in, in the sense when he became a man, it had to be bestowed. Now, in before he became a man, it was his, but he gave it up to come as a man. Then God, the father bestowed it onto him, his son. Okay. So now he's, has this thing bestowed and he's growing in this thing, this, this position, this identity, this strength. And, um, I, it's, I think it's, it's important to look at that. So it says we grow in grace. So every time we go see the word grace, get off the idea of I can do Mm -hmm. something or I can't do something. It has nothing to do with permission for behavior. It has to do with position that changes the motive of behavior. If you knew you were the son loved by your father and he was training you, if he corrected you, you wouldn't take it as a negative. You wouldn't take it as him hurting you. He's correcting you. He's guiding you. He's doing this. And you want the challenges of life. You actually embrace Give me some challenges so I can win. I want to see your, you, you advance versus take away all these problems. Give me nothing. Someone who's truly confident in themselves, that'd be like a soccer player who wants to play soccer and all of a sudden you never let him play on the field and you let him sit on the bench and he just watches conferences for the rest of his life from the bench of how to play soccer. I mean, how empty life-giving is that? No, put me in. Well, you, you haven't played before, so it's going to be kind of hard. I don't care. I want to grow. And they get out and they fall down. They get kicked. They get their, their shins beat up a little bit. They lose the ball. They're not as good as they thought. But then the coach pulls them aside and said, hey, let's work on that in practice. And you're going back in the next game. And then pretty soon they start playing because the coach sees what they can be. Like he, he knows he just has to get rid of this <laughs> stuff. And the more he keeps playing, he gets better. But that's someone who knows what they are. If you aren't confident with what you are, you don't want any games. I'll just watch it on TV and critique it. I'll tell everybody how the coach should do it, but I'm not getting out there to play and hold the responsibility and carry the weight of the pressure and having the fans angry at me and carrying all the hate mail if we lose and then all the, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want any of that. I just want to sit in my chair and critique. Well, that's a victim. But someone who says I want to get out there is someone who kind of knows what they are and they accept that it's not going to be rosy and there's risk and there's pain and there's all those things, but that's the responsibility Mm. at the end. That's satisfying. That's fulfilling. That's all those things. So when you really discover your identity, life doesn't get easier. It actually could get harder, but your perspective towards it is embracing and you see victory to him that overcomes. I'll give the crown of life. How do we overcome? We accept our position and know who our father is, how he handles things. And then from that perspective, life takes on a new meaning. You know, to conclude this podcast and this discussion, I think we just need to leave at this one point. And again, we'll discuss more uh, in the future podcast because we're going to continue the series around identity. So as discussion questions come up, but I think one thing uh, from this first podcast that if we could walk away with this one idea, God, our father is pursuing us to build trust with us, that he'll know that he believes in us and we begin believing in him. And I, this is the building block of everything because without this, none of the rest works. And so when he talks about that, you would understand the height and the depth and his love for you. For a woman, that means one thing. For a man, it means another. And I think for a man, it's a deep respect and belief and, and, and basically saying, you step out. If God, the Father was speaking to you, Jason, he says, I so believe in you. You step out. I've empowered you. And no matter what, I got your back. And I'll keep teaching you. And if you make a mistake, I got your back. I got your back. I got your back because I believe in you. And I think 
this needs to be the building blocks before anything else happens. So that's the this first intro to the podcast of the big main idea that we need to start with is that the Father believes in you. We appreciate you guys listening in today. If you've got some questions about the material we're covering or have some stuff that you want to ask us, you can leave a comment in the podcast here. You can find us on the website, outboundlife.org. There's a whole contact page right there. You can go to Facebook and look us up there, Outbound Life on Facebook as well. Brian is going to be in the States in October and November of this year, 2019. We've got some speaking engagements and conferences, a lot of cool stuff that's coming up. So stay tuned for any updates and specific dates on that.